0: then to look to the scriptures, we're continuing to talk to you about going from the empty tomb to the upper room, from the empty tomb to the upper room, pardon me, I like to see people that can just praise the Lord and give Him glory and um, I can't do that without dripping all over the place, so excuse me. Um, I, we introduced this idea a couple weeks ago about going, to, going from the empty tomb to the upper room. And the fact that in a short 50 days between the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the time that his followers were to take over the work that he began and to, to begin and spread the message of Jesus and build the kingdom and build the church, that they had a very brief time in which to fully, uh, or maybe not fully, but at least partially grasp uh, well enough what Jesus was all about and what he had come to do, what he had come to accomplish. And uh, as I think about that brief amount of time in which to prepare, you know, I I hear uh, people talk about Jesus' own life and, you know, Jesus in his own life. Uh, if we want to look at it this way, I think we can. He prepared for 30 years for an active ministry of only three years. Um, I think about the time uh, and effort and energy that I invested into schooling and how uh, even prior to college i was being raised in a christian home by parents who taught me god's word and had me in church uh, at, at every uh, at every opportunity and and learning and all of that and then to think about the apostles the, the followers of jesus the fact that they uh, even after the three years they spent with Jesus, it's obvious that they still didn't fully grasp what Jesus was all about and what the cross was all about. And then in this short period of time, they are to develop their understanding well enough that they're going out uh, into the world to share the message uh, that Jesus began to preach. I use this illustration and I'm just going to stick with it to kind of keep giving you the idea, pressing on you the idea that, uh, uh, as far as I can tell from history, uh, in the United States, uh, when there has been a a draft or a conscription notice and men uh, have been called up, uh, not voluntarily, but drafted to serve in the service, the shortest uh, remaining or the shortest time uh, between the time that men were drafted and the time that they actually went into service is somewhere between 9 and 11 days uh, during the Civil War when Abraham Lincoln instituted a draft. Uh, there was uh, uh, one group of men uh, that uh, was the second union draft right after, uh, the, uh, right after Gettysburg. Uh, that uh, those men uh, had actually Lincoln gave the states 11 days to fulfill their quota Uh, And uh, within nine days, the first new recruits were marching. I cannot imagine going from your normal everyday life to within a little over a week, you're marching to battle. And that's what it reminds me of as I think about these men, uh, the, the followers of Jesus, that uh, they, they saw Jesus crucified, and yes, they saw him resurrected, uh, but in this brief amount of time, uh, they need to grow and develop enough in their understanding of what Jesus was all about and what the cross was all about in order to take that message out into the world. We began two weeks ago by talking about the fact that they were first of all reassured in order to believe again. Reassured in order to believe again. In other words, the, the, the beginning of bringing these followers of Christ to the point where they're willing to go out into the world and take the message of Christ, the beginning simply was they had to believe again in Jesus as the Messiah, because their image of what the Messiah was to accomplish did not include the cross. And so they needed to be reassured in order to believe again in Jesus. They needed also to be reminded again of their call and their commitment in order to follow him again. This was two weeks ago, uh, just prior to uh, the, uh, the revival services last week. We spoke to you about the time after the resurrection of Jesus that Peter and a few others of the disciples were, were gathered together. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. And it almost seemed as if they, kind of, they knew that Jesus was alive again from the dead, but they just really didn't know what to do with themselves. They didn't know where to go next, and so they were kind of going back to uh, what they knew. They were going back to fishing. And in that story, Jesus reminds them of their original calling and they renew that commitment again to follow jesus today i want to talk to you about the cross about embracing the cross and as i see this i see following the resurrection by the way i these these teachings are are not necessarily in a, a sequential or a chronological order i'm just kind of looking at the things that happened after the resurrection and before the day of Pentecost that helped the disciples come to the place where it seemed they were ready to go out into the world. And this seems to me to be a very important portion of the story These two passages of Scripture that you see on the screen, they're actually, I I forgot that I wanted to reverse the order. I want to take you back, first of all, to Matthew 16, verses 24. This is right after the time when Jesus began to tell His disciples that He was going to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem there to lay down His life. And they did not understand. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, Luke, chapter 24, verses 25 and 26. This is, again, from one of my favorite stories after the resurrection, about the two disciples that are on the Emmaus Road, and Jesus appears to walk along with them, and he says to them, "'Why are you so sad? Why are you downcast?' And they say to him, "'Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, the only one that doesn't know about all the things that have happened?' And Jesus says two words to them, "'What things?' And they began to talk to them about Jesus and how he uh, was a prophet, mighty indeed, and, and that they had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And here's Jesus' response to them in verses 25 and 26 of Luke chapter 24. Jesus said to them, "'O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken.'" Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray again that you will give us all the help that is needed. I pray that you will help us to understand that we are called to follow you to the cross. We are called to embrace the cross and not to flee from it. Lord, we ask that you will speak to us powerfully by your word through the influence of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, would you bring each one of us to the place of willing and complete surrender to you and to your will. And we'll praise you for what is accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this story of Jesus walking along uh, the the road to Emmaus with these two disciples, we see him repeating his teaching. Now, I don't know, I I think it was Brother James that mentioned to me a couple weeks ago, wouldn't it have been wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a list of references here uh, in, uh, in this chapter that we could look back to and see exactly what passages Jesus was using from the Old Testament. Uh, it would be so wonderful if we can only guess, uh, we can only speculate about what those portions of the Old Testament were, but that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's going back to the Old Testament, to the law and the prophets, and again explaining to them, and it's as if, as if I hear Jesus saying, let me, let me tell you one more time, about the cross and everything in this moment for these two disciples and I believe eventually for all the rest as well everything that they had failed to understand before it was as if a light bulb switched on and they began to see the cross in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that he had came to do and the purpose for which he came and they said did not our hearts burn within us While he walked with us and opened to us the scriptures along the way. You see, all of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, had had a faulty understanding of the cross. You see, their understanding of what the cross represents would have been similar to us uh, thinking about uh, perhaps... Waterboarding and electric chairs and lethal injection and, and uh, maybe hanging if you want to go that far back. All of the stigma and all of the, all of the negative ideas and the connotations that those, those things represent to us were everything and more that the cross represented to Jesus' followers in his day and when jesus said to them the words from matthew chapter 16 and and unless you deny yourself and take up your cross you cannot be my disciple it would have been just mind blowing to them the cross was a despicable uh, horrible means of torture and death and uh, and and capital punishment it was it was Something that the Romans had perfected, as I understand history, you can go back and trace crucifixion back, I believe to the to uh, the Persian people, but it was something that the the Romans developed uh, in and perfected uh, this as a means uh, of of torture and death uh, for criminals. But it was something considered to be so horrendous and so awful uh, that if you were a Roman citizen. It was against the law to crucify you. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Roman citizens could be put to death, but not ever by crucifixion. In fact, we have words in our language that perhaps we don't even realize uh, what they mean. When when we talk about being in, in such terrible pain or agony that it is excruciating, That word excruciating is from a Latin word that means out of the cross. And it's the idea that the cross was such a horrible way uh, uh, to die, the the most horrific way to die that you can imagine. And that's, that's everything that Jesus' followers had in their head when they thought about the cross. They had a faulty understanding We read about it in Mark chapter 9 and verses 30 through 32. Jesus was teaching the disciples uh, and beginning to tell them that the Son of Man would be handed over to to be killed. Let me just read it to you. Mark, Mark chapter 9 verse 30. In John chapter eight, verse twenty-five, Jesus is talking to the people and teaching the people. And again, there he's teaching them ideas that they cannot comprehend; they do not understand. And eventually, Jesus tells them, uh, John eight twenty-five uh, through twenty-eight. He says, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, and he has been exalted, then you will understand." And still they did not realize what he was saying. You know, we talk about, um, we, have, we have songs that talk about Jesus being lifted up. I heard a, a, a worship song, Be Lifted Up. And, and it's, a, it's an idea that's been made into a worship song. And I understand what they're saying, but in the context of Scripture, that idea is not about worship. It's about Jesus being raised up on the cross to die. Some people still have a hard time understanding what is meant about Jesus being lifted up. Again, from Matthew chapter 16, if I could take you back there to to the verses earlier uh, than the ones that we read, Jesus um, is, is confronting his disciples with this idea who do men say that I am this question who do people say that I am and they said well some say that you're John the Baptist and some say that you're Isaiah or Elijah one of the prophets and Jesus said but who do you say that I am and Peter answered and said you are the Christ the son of the living God And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, God, you've been getting ideas and revelations directly from the mind of God it's very interesting considering the fact that right after this, this is, this is kind of the hinge point, the trigger. And, and after this point, Jesus begins to teach the disciples. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and be killed. And Peter took him aside. This is the same Peter that... Just a few minutes ago, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, for you've been you've been you've been digging around in the mind of God. God's been revealing things to you. And the same Peter, when Jesus begins to talk to them about going to the cross, Peter says, He he rebukes the Lord. Have any of you ever been bold enough or brave enough to rebuke the Lord? Peter rebuked the Lord. And said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is not going to happen to you. And Jesus is so intent and so focused with a laser-like focus on going to the cross that he rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Jesus is saying, nothing can stand in the way of me going to the cross. For that's exactly why he came. Jesus' followers had a faulty understanding of the cross. He wanted them to embrace the cross, but they were not yet able to. But after the resurrection, and he again begins to teach them. He teaches them to embrace the cross, first of all, because of what was accomplished there. Because of what Jesus accomplished there. The first thing that I see, and this is not going to be an exhaustive list, I'm sure there's much more that we could could add, but the first thing that we could say is that the ransom was paid. It's very interesting to me the words that the two disciples on the road to Emmaus said uh, to Jesus in Luke 24 verse 21, they said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, if you study that word redeem or redemption, you will find that it means to buy back by paying a ransom, to buy back by paying a ransom. And they didn't seem to understand. They wanted redemption, but they failed to realize that redemption required the payment of a price. And so Jesus begins to teach them the necessity of the cross, that he had to go to the cross and that they must also embrace the cross because it's there that Jesus paid the ransom in order to redeem not just Israel, but to redeem everyone in this world back from the hand of the enemy. It was also there that victory was won. Jesus accomplished victory there. In John chapter 16, verse 33, let me read these words to you. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, that is trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, he's speaking there as as if it's a victory that has already been accomplished. And then when we come to Jesus actually hanging and dying on the cross, and he speaks from the cross and cries out, It is finished. Some may have heard that as the cry of one going down in defeat and loss. But, friends, I can tell you this morning, it's not the cry of a loser. It's not the cry of a failure, but it's the cry of the one who finally won the victory and conquered over death. In Revelation chapter 5, we read beautiful words. Uh, of worship and, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reference this again in just a few moments the idea uh, of uh, well let me, just, let me just reference it now you may notice that I'm talking about going from the empty tomb to the upper room so, if that's the case, then the only scriptures that we ought to be using should be the parts of the story that take place between the resurrection and Pentecost. Are, are, are you following? So, those are the ones that pertain directly to that time frame, and the rest of the New Testament, such as the book of Revelation, is written long after this time of history in the lives of the disciples. And so we, you might argue, you know, those, the, these verses don't really app- apply, you know, to the development of the disciples' understanding because this comes much later. But you see, everything that comes later in the writings of Paul and the other uh, books of the New Testament grow out of this seed of understanding that's planted in the apostles' mind that Jesus teaches them right after he rose from the grave. So we read in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6, uh, these words. Uh, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He has won the victory so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense." And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Friends, it was on the cross that Jesus accomplished victory for himself over the powers of hell and darkness. Another verse in Revelation chapter 12. We'll just you can look that one up if you want to. I won't take the time to read it. What Jesus accomplished there, he's telling him, he's telling his followers, you need to embrace the cross because of what I accomplished there. The ransom was paid and victory was won, and then finally, evil's power was exhausted there on the cross. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about the first promise of redemption, the first promise of Messiah that was to come. Genesis chapter 3 is the account of the fall uh, of man into sin, and in verse 15, God is speaking, and he's speaking to the serpent, that one who came uh, to tempt uh, Adam and Eve and to lead them into sin. And uh, he says, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is that saying? It is a promise from God that the serpent will bruise the flesh of Messiah, the Christ. But the Messiah, that one who is to come, will bruise the head, that is, will destroy the power of the adversary, the serpent. And friends, on the cross, this is exactly what is, what is taking place, that the power of Satan and the power of evil is, pour, is poured out in full measure upon Jesus Christ and he takes it fully into himself. And you might say, well, pastor, how can that be the case when we see so much evil and heartache and heartbreak still taking place today. And that's a sermon for another time. That's a different sermon, but let me just tell you, friends, that Jesus' death on the cross followed by His resurrection from the grave demonstrates His victory over death, and hell, and the grave, so that, friends, those things can no longer bring any lasting harm or damage to you and I, only temporary harm and damage. I think it was, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get the name wrong, so I'm not going to tell. Uh, try to give the name uh, but there's an illustration given by a a good good preacher from years gone by who uh had young children he and his wife did and and his wife was uh stricken ill and died at a young age while the children were still young and this this pastor as he was driving in the car uh, with his young children on the way to the cemetery where they were to lay his wife and their mother uh, to rest. Um, They they were trying to make sense of the loss and the death of their mother, and that father, brokenhearted himself, was trying to figure out how he could help his young children to make sense of the loss and the death of their mother, the one that they loved. And as they were driving, a large truck passed by them and the the sunlight on the other side cast a shadow so that the shadow of that truck went across their vehicle. And that pastor had an inspiration and he asked his children kids tell me would you rather be ran over by the shadow of the truck or would you rather be run over by the truck itself and they said oh of course we'd rather be run over by the shadow of the truck because that wouldn't hurt us at all and that man said that's exactly what What Jesus did for you and I and what his victory on the cross represents for us death is to us I know I know it feels real and it hurts and I'm not I don't want to minimize anybody's pain or or difficulty and loss or in grief but friends the victory that it seems death and suffering has in our life is in reality as insubstantial as the shadow of the truck that might cross our path when we're driving down the highway. It has no real and lasting power over our lives, because Jesus won the victory at the cross, and evil's power was exhausted there. You want to take note of those scriptures? Hebrews 2:14 and 15, and then Colossians 2:14 and 15. And then we'll move on. We embrace the cross because of what Jesus accomplished there. We also embrace the cross because of what is accomplished in us there. You see, at the cross we find forgiveness and justification. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. It is at the cross that we find mercy great and grace is free and pardon there is multiplied to me. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to end up there anyway. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul writes this, And you who were dead... In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, it is at the cross that we find forgiveness and justification. Romans chapter 3 Again, the words of the Apostle Paul, verse 21, "...but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or demonstrated apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace." as a gift through the redemption that is in jesus christ whom god put forward as a propitiation that is the atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus praise his name it is there that we find forgiveness and justification romans chapter 8 the apostle paul writes there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit but friends, not only do we find forgiveness and justification, but we also find at the cross cleansing and sanctification. Cleansing and sanctification. One of my old uh, church, my church history professor used to say it like this. He would say, friends, God can do more with sin than just forgive it. But friends, he can come to our hearts and when we bring ourselves fully to him and lay ourselves down, he can cleanse our hearts fully and completely. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 7 through 10 we read these words. Then I said He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That word there to be sanctified simply means that we are set apart and cleansed to be exclusively God's property, God's possession And then again in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 12, we read these words. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Excuse me. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about this. But did you know in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, the animal that had sins confessed over it was not the animal that got killed? It's very, very interesting. The animal that had sins confessed over it was not the animal that got killed. That was called the scapegoat. That was the one that got released into the wilderness. And that might make us wonder and ask the question, well, then what is the purpose of the one that got sacrificed, the one that actually had its blood spilled? The one that had its blood spilt had that blood taken into and splashed on the altar and the different implements of, uh, of the temple, and it was to be for cleansing, for cleansing. And Jesus said to his people that it is, that, that, that those Sacrificial animals were given for that purpose, for their cleansing, and it was not to make God's people uh, so that they could go into God's presence, but it was to make the area where God's people were clean so that God could come into our presence. And it was only after that time that the temple and the the altar and all of that was cleansed by the blood of the sacrificial animals that God's presence was able to come in and inhabit that space. And friends, in you and I, in our hearts and in our lives, God, thank God He can forgive us of our sins and we can stand before Him justified, but also beyond that, His blood was shed for the cleansing of our hearts so that our hearts can be a fit dwelling place for His Holy Spirit to come and fill and live inside. It is for forgiveness and justification, but it is also for cleansing and sanctification. Let me talk to you just a moment about turning toward the cross. According to the understanding of the disciples before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would have associated the cross with danger and death. Danger and death and loss. Can I just tell you, you should know that it is costly to follow Jesus. It is costly to embrace the cross because He requires from us everything. When we come to Him, it's not as if we can come and decide the parts of ourselves that we want to give and the parts that we want to hold on to for ourselves. But if we are to come to Him and truly be His disciple, truly be His follower, it requires us giving our all completely without reservation. And there is a way in which turning towards the cross is a turn towards death and danger. Again, I would reference these verses in Colossians chapter 2. Let's just read verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There is sometimes shame associated with turning toward the cross. The verses that we read a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 13 speaks about uh, how we are admonished, we are invited to go and follow Jesus outside the camp and bear his reproach there is required a willingness from us to identify with Jesus on the cross. But friends, I want to tell you that even though there is danger and death associated with turning towards the cross, there is also nothing to fear by turning towards the cross. Like the pain that comes along with peeling the scab off an old wound, but is then followed by sweet relief and a brand new layer of skin underneath. The danger and death that is experienced at the cross is only death to that which would keep us from being everything that God intends us to be in the first place. It's laying down our old life. It's laying down our old self and turning away from that in order to rise again with Jesus and follow him in newness of life. And friends, in that there is nothing to fear. In Luke chapter 24, if I can... Reference you back there one more time as we see the uh, two disciples on the Emmaus Road after they have listen to Jesus open up the scriptures to them and they they persuaded him to come in and break bread with them and in breaking bread their eyes were opened and he disappeared from their vision and they spoke to one another and said did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures and you see these were two men who had been fleeing from Jerusalem trying to get away from the place where they their own lives were perhaps Perhaps at risk. They were in danger of being forced to go to the cross. And after they have seen Jesus, they turn right around and go back to Jerusalem. What was it that had changed? Nothing had changed in Jerusalem. Caiaphas and were still there. The high priest, the religious leaders, those same people that had put Jesus to death were still there. And those who were associated with him, his followers, were perhaps at risk of their own lives. But what changed was in their hearts, their understanding that it was okay for them to embrace the cross because the cross meant the way into new life. Just quickly, if I could close by mentioning to you, quoting a little bit from the journal of David Livingston. If you know anything about David Livingston, you know he was a, a missionary statesman. Only lived to be about sixty years of age because he he his his life, his body was ravaged and wasted because he traversed the continent of Africa taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of those villages it is said there he heard the voice I think it was from Robert Moffat that he heard uh, speak about being able to look across the the vast plains of Africa and see the smoke from a thousand villages where the gospel had never been heard and God put that on the heart of David Livingston and he became a missionary and went and just spent his life. His body was, he, he was attacked and mauled by lions and he uh, experienced malaria and jungle fever. Just all kinds of, uh, of ailments and problems. But listen to what he wrote in his journal. He said, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the Spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice, he said, Of this we ought not talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Friends, we can embrace the cross fully. Yes, there is the the risk of death and danger, but it is only the risk to this part of ourselves that needs to die anyway. And we then turn and rise to follow Christ in new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's stand together.